Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. As we speak about spiritual growth, we saw that last week that prayer stands as a vital step for us to grow spiritually. We think of the old children's song. If you grew up in church, I'm sure you sang, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink shrink, shrink. And you got to do all the motions with it. And it was a fun song, but there was a truth to that song as well, that in order for us to grow in our walk with God, we have to read our Bibles, but we must also spend time in prayer. However, prayer seems to be the one spiritual discipline that we really struggle with. That is really hard. We struggle to pray. And last week, we began to look at three important reasons why we must take time to pray, understanding that this, as we look at each other and as we look at our own lives, this is a struggle for every one of us. And so the goal last week was to encourage you to take time to pray. And we worked through the first two reasons why it is important for us to take time to pray. And so let's do a quick review. And then I want to get into the final reason this morning. And from it, we'll see that you can pray. You can do it. Every one of us can do it. We saw first off that we ought to pray because God calls on us to pray. First Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. But it's not just because God commands it, but because it's how we communicate with God. It's how we talk to him in your own relationships, in your marriages in your work relationships. What kind of relationship would you have with your spouse? If all you did was talk to your spouse three times a day, every day. And the only thing you said to them was, Hey, thanks for the food. But you wouldn't have a relationship with them. But often this is how we interact with God and we expect that we have a relationship with him when all we do is two or three times a day say, hey, God, thanks for the food. That's not a relationship. You see, prayer is how we communicate with God. And we saw from Psalms 100 that this is a joyful act of worship in speaking to God. And as we demonstrate our love for God, we do so through prayer. But we also note that Christ paid a high price, which gives us the right to pray. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a great high priest that is passed through the heavens. Jesus became our sacrifice. The high priest every year would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, offering, sacrificing a bull or a goat on the day of atonement to sacrifice so the people's sins would be covered and forgiven. But Jesus Christ, once and for all, entered into the holy place. He died on the cross and offered his sins so that you and I could have forgiveness forever. And because of that, because he is our high priest, we now have the privilege of entering in to the throne room of God to speak to him. And we have this high priest that sympathizes with our suffering, with our weakness, because he felt our suffering. Because Jesus became a man, he knows what it is like to struggle. He understands loss. He understands weakness. He understands temptation. He understands being tired. Jesus lived it. 
He sympathizes with our weakness. He's felt our suffering. And so we should take time to pray. God, we should take time to pray because God has called us to pray. Secondly, we saw that we must take time to pray because it brings wonderful results. In other words, prayer works. We saw first off that prayer aligns our thoughts with God's thoughts. Sometimes we don't think prayer works because we don't get what we wanted. But the reality is the purpose of prayer and God's answers in prayer align our thoughts with God's thoughts. We looked most closely at the book of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, the prophet is looking at the world around him. It is in absolute ruins and struggle. It is in, uh, in terror. There is crime everywhere. People are not serving or worshiping God. And he asks God, how long are you going to allow these struggles to go on before you intervene? How long are you going to allow culture to degrade before you step in? And then at the end of chapter one, he says, I'm going to watch to see your answer. Well, God gives him an answer, but it's not one that Habakkuk expects or particularly likes. God's answer is, I'm going to bring wrath upon the people and destroy them. I'm going to take them into captivity through the wicked Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, God, now wait a minute here. This doesn't align with who you are, your character. I don't see how this works. Why would you use people more wicked that aren't your people to judge your own people? And God responds by laying out his majesty and his glory and his person. And in the end, we see in Habakkuk chapter 3 that Habakkuk says, although the fig tree will not blossom or bring forth figs, although the, the animals will be gone, although we will have nothing left, I'm still going to praise the Lord because he's still working. He'll hold me in security. You see, nothing happened that changed around Habakkuk. The circumstances did not change at all, but his thoughts were aligned with God's thoughts. Prayer helps us to think the way God thinks. Secondly, prayer results in grace and mercy. Back in Hebrews chapter 4, as we're told to come before the throne of grace through our great high priest, we're told that we do this so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the middle of your hardship, in the middle of your struggle, prayer is the means by which God grants you mercy, not giving you what you do deserve, and grace, giving you what you don't deserve, the strength to make it through the trial and not just survive, but actually thrive through the struggle. Glorify him and demonstrate the kingdom through the challenges that you face. Prayer is the means for grace and mercy. And finally, we saw that prayer keeps us from worry. Philippians chapter 4 tells us that we should not be worried or anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we should let our requests be made known to God. And he promises us that when we do this, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the supernatural peace from God will guard our hearts. It will keep us from being anxious and worried because we understand that the one who controls all creation is in control of our life as well. And we can rest in his goodness and his care. Show me a person who is struggling with worry. And I'll show a person who is struggling with prayer. But the reality is the struggle we often face in prayer is that we feel like we just don't know how to do it. We think, this is not something that I can do. Prayer is just, it's just different. 
Now, I'm not one of those people that can, that can just eloquently lay out all these things that I think and, and sound really good using all the Christianese words. Perhaps this comes from a misunderstanding of prayer. Perhaps this comes from a failure of the church and giving a wrong impression of what prayer actually is. You know, sometimes we think that prayer means we have to be really eloquent, have silver tongues, be able to speak really well, or, or know these really big words, really spiritual sounding words that we can use. And as a result, many view prayer as something reserved for the super spiritual people, not for the average person. Sometimes people struggle with prayer because it feels like a one-way conversation. We can't see, we can't hear God, and so it feels a little bit monotonous. You feel like you're just speaking into the air. And so we struggle with it. But as we examine this final reason for prayer today, we come to discover that prayer is simply speaking to God. You know how to talk. And so, you know how to pray. God is not looking for eloquence. He's not looking for special words. He's looking for conversation. Further, as we discover that God speaks to us through the Word and Holy Spirit, so it's not a one-way conversation. We speak and then we listen to God speak to us through His Word and the Holy Spirit. And as we examine this final reason, I hope that you walk away with one phrase, and it is this. You can pray. You can pray. Every single one of us can do it and do it well. You see, you can pray because Jesus gave us an example of prayer which you can follow. Had you turn to Matthew chapter 6. In a parallel passage, a second time that Jesus taught on prayer, in Luke chapter 11, it begins like this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. These, these men saw Jesus' prayer life, and they said, Jesus, we want to pray too. Teach us how to do this. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. And he repeats the lesson that he had taught them earlier in Matthew 6. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5. Jesus speaking says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. and Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. If your father knows what you need before you ask him. Instead, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As we look through this text, we see that prayer is simply talking to God. Some have taken this text and have followed this pattern saying, this is exactly what you say. When you pray, you pray the Lord's Prayer. And most people, as a result, have come to learn the Lord's Prayer. One problem, though, is we begin to believe that these words are some sort of mystical, special words that we have to say in order for God to hear us. But we need to note in Luke 11, he says, after this way, in this manner, in verse 9 of Matthew 6, he says, pray then like this. He doesn't say, pray this exactly. He's giving us a pattern, an illustration of what prayer is. And we'll discover as we walk through this, prayer is simply speaking to God. You see, when you pray, there are several things that you can and should include in your prayer. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, we notice several elements that every one of us can do. We see, first off, that when we pray, we should praise God for who he is. He says, our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's he saying? He acknowledges you are our father. There is a relationship here. God, we praise you because you have entered into a relationship with us. Although you are God, you are not far off. You know, many false religions worship a God that is far off, that they fear, that doesn't enter into personal relationship with them. But the reality is the one true God, the God of the universe, has entered into a relationship with us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You are his child. And so we praise God for who he is, and it allows us boldness to come into his presence. If your child, when they were younger, came to me, Said, hey, Pastor Dave, I'm, I'm going to McDonald's with my friends after church today. Can I have $5 to get some uh, sandwich while I'm there? I would look at them and think, why are you asking me? Where are your parents? Why would I give you $5? And maybe out of graciousness, I would do it. But it would be odd, to say the least, for them to do that. On the other hand, your children probably often come to you and say, can I have, please, And they come with boldness. Why? Because they have a relationship with you. He tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace because he is our father. And we praise him because while he is our father and is close to us, he is also overall. He is in heaven. And the picture is that he is on his throne conducting all creation for his sovereign care. He is orchestrating every event for the advancement of his kingdom. Our God is incredibly powerful. One reason often I think we struggle with prayer is we don't actually believe God is who he is. Your God is too small. But God is great. He is in heaven. 
And you have the privilege of entering into that throne room and bringing your requests. And so we praise him as the God who is over all. And then he tells us, we pray, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word we use today in modern English. Even in this modern translation we use, the English Standard Version, they use the word hallowed. I don't know why, because it's not a word we use today. Instead, we might use the word holy or sacred or great is your name. God, you are special. I want you to think for a moment about God. We see certain gems as priceless, costly, special because of their rarity. I've shared this before. When, when I proposed to my wife, I did not go find a wooden ring and put in a piece of asphalt into it and present it to her. Say, will you marry me? If I had done that, she would have looked at it and said, what is this? No, what do guys do? Well, they learn about diamonds and they buy the best one they can afford. Because usually you're young and poor, it's not the best one, but it's the best you can afford. And it's priceless. Why? Because there's not many of them. Why is gravel not priceless? Because it's everywhere. Even as we think about all creation, there are multiple of everything. I've mentioned often, I have a dog. Even without ever seeing my dog, you have an idea of what the dog looks like. Why? Because they're all over the place. But as we talk about God, there's only one. Anywhere. And it makes him priceless. It makes him unique. It makes him holy. But he's also all-powerful. There's nothing God cannot do. He spoke everything into existence. He holds it all, Hebrews tells us, by the word of his power. Your God is great. And so how do you pray? By talking to God about how great he is. By praising him. As you read through the Psalms, you see this over and over and over where the psalmist just rehearses, God, you are good. God, you are great. God, you are wonderful. You can pray because you know what God's like. It doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be special. It can be as simple as God, you're fantastic. Praise God for who he is. We see as well, though, that we are to submit to God's will in prayer. We don't pray in a selfish way, expecting God to bend his will to ours, but rather that our will would be bent to his. He says, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is asking God to help us understand. Submitting ourselves to what God wants. It's not simply going to God and saying, God, you must. It's coming to God and saying, help me see. Sometimes we struggle in prayer because we've got bad views of God. We view God like a cosmic grandpa. You know what I'm talking about. When I was growing up. My family got into a little bit of a health kick and they began to juice everything in sight and eat really, really healthy. 
And so for breakfast, I would get things like carrot juice and the wonderful breakfast cereal, Fiber One. It looks like and tastes like rabbit food. That's what I got. And that's fine. Several years ago, one of the first times we left the boys with my parents for an extended period of time, Heather and I had gone on a trip, and halfway through the trip, we called to find out how the boys were doing. They were really young, so this really excited them. We said, what's going on? They said, you'll never guess what happened. We said, what happened, buddy? They said, we got chocolate cake for breakfast. I said, excuse me? Like today? No, every day. Mom got on the phone again later and said, now talk to me about this, Mom. I got carrot juice and fiber one. My kids are getting chocolate cake. She said, you're my kid. They're my grandkid. The problem is sometimes we view God this way. Like he's this cosmic grandpa. Because what happens? Every grandkid learns. Mom and dad said no. I can't have this or they can't afford this. What do I do? Hey, grandpa, grandma. And boom, it happens. And we think God's that way. We come to God like our cosmic grandpa who just grants our every desire because he's so wonderful and loving. But that's not what prayer is. Sometimes we view God like a cosmic vending machine. I'm talking about you go in and you go into the vending machine and you choose what unhealthy thing you want and you put in your money and you press the right button. And if it works, out comes what you want. If it doesn't, you shake the machine and out comes what you want. And we view God this way. We put in our spiritual prayer tokens and prayer works and we press a four and boom, we get what we want. But God's not a cosmic vending machine. God is the creator of the universe. And so when we come to God in prayer, we're not coming as though he's this vending machine where we say, God, I did all these things. Now give me or God, you're like my grandpa. So I hand it over. Say, God, you're the sovereign controller of all things. Help me understand. I want what you want. So show me what you want. Your kingdom come. Here's the great thing about that. God does not make his will an Easter egg hunt. God does not make his desires something that you have to search for all over. It's not when you come and say, God, I want what you want, so show me what you want. And he goes, yeah, good luck with that. This is going to be fun. No, he shows us clearly as we move forward in obedience. A key to prayer and a reason we struggle often with prayer is because we view prayer wrongly. We view it as though we are coming as a customer to the person who is the provider. But we are coming as the creation to our creator, seeking his will. So submit to his will. But even in all of that, God desires that you make your requests. He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. God invites you to come with your requests. We see in verse number 11, give us this day our daily bread. God wants you to come to him even with the most mundane and simple things. God, give me food today. 
He wants us to bring our needs and our wants and our desires. We saw Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about every anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So while God is not a cosmic vending machine or a cosmic grandpa, He is our loving God who desires us to come to Him with our needs. This is really important because it also tells us that you don't have to clean yourself up and get everything right before you come to him. Sometimes we feel like I can't go to God and pray. I can't bring this to God because I haven't tried everything possible to get it fixed. And until I do it all, I can't come. And perhaps it's because of our own upbringing where we would go for help to somewhere and they'd say, well, have you tried this, this or this? No. Then why are you coming to me? Go try that first. That's not how God works. God wants us to come in our brokenness, in our messiness. God wants us to come with our needs and our hurts and our desires. God invites you into his presence to cast everything on him. That's your God. You don't have to clean yourself up. He wants you to come so he can clean you up. What an incredible privilege. We see throughout scripture, there are two types of requests that we ought to make. We ought to make prayers of intercession, prayers for others, prayers for others. Prayer ought not to be completely selfish where all we do is pray for ourselves. In fact, in our service order, you will see regularly we have what we call a prayer of intercession. Today, Larry brought that prayer and I appreciate it because in that prayer, he regularly uh, brought before God and rehearsed others needs. It reminds us that we're not in this ourselves. You know, sometimes we we like to have little pity parties for ourselves. Our life is awful. It's so bad. And part of it is because we put blinders on to everything around us. But when we begin to interact into the lives of others, and we begin to see others, we begin to realize others are struggling with the same things and sometimes even worse than we are. And it helps us have a broader view of the work of God as we pray for others. Every week in your bulletin, there is a prayer sheet. I hope you don't just throw that away. I hope you take that and use that as a way for you to rehearse the needs of others before God. That you pray for them, bring them into God's presence. We ought to pray for others. But we also ought to pray For ourselves. It is not wrong to pray for yourself. Sometimes we feel selfish or self centered or we just do it ourselves. But God wants you to bring personal prayer requests. Lord, I am struggling with this situation. Lord, I hurt. Lord, I'm sick. Lord, my family's a mess. Lord, this situation is going on. Please help. And sometimes. This personal prayer is simply a groan. We see in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit makes intercession for us, it says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Groanings which cannot be put into words. Often we see in the Psalms, as you read through it, you see the psalmist just simply saying, Oh! And all we can do is weep and say, God, help. God desires that. He longs for that. And he will not mock you or ridicule you or push you away because of it. 
He invites you into his presence to unload your needs on him. And again, we're reminded that when we do that, he gives us grace and mercy to help in time of need. You can pray. Because it doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be some special mystical word you say to unlock the secret of God's power. It can be as simple as, God, help. That's prayer. You can pray. We praise God for who he is. We submit to God's will. We make our requests. But another important aspect of prayer is keeping short sin accounts. He tells us that when we pray, we ought to pray, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The principle here is keeping short sin accounts with God and with others. That we don't allow sin to build up in our relationship between us and God. Sometimes we struggle with prayer because we have not confessed our sin to God. We've not taken care of the problem. We felt this in our own personal relationships before where there's just tension in the relationship. And you know why there's tension in the relationship because there are incidents that have taken place that have not been dealt with. And so there's just an awkwardness. And the problem is sometimes we allow this to happen between us and God. We have sinned. We have strayed away from his plan, his purpose for our life. And so there is awkwardness there. We feel like we can't go to God because we have known sin in our life. But here's what God tells us. If you confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness. When you come to God, you say, God, yeah, it's me again. I sinned again. The thing I keep struggling with, I did it again. And I I really mean it this time, God. I, I don't want to do it. Please forgive me. God doesn't go. You know what? You've been here 59,000 times with that same sin. I mean, seriously, get it right. He forgives. He's faithful and just to forgive. The psalmist tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. Think about that. How far do you have to walk west before you're walking east? Well, seeing as hopefully you're not a flat earther, you understand. You just keep walking west until you turn around. That's how far God has thrown away our sin. It says your sin and your iniquity, he will remember no more. God chooses not to remember it. We ought to confess our sin. He does not mock or ridicule when we come. He graciously forgives. So why don't we do that? I think in part it's because we love our sin. We like to hang on to it. It's our personal pet. Sometimes we don't think it's that bad. We need to recognize that anything that is separating us from God is awful and needs to be taken care of. But when you confess your sin, it doesn't take magic words. You don't have to pretty please with cherries on top for God to forgive you. Simply say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, and he does. You can pray. 
We see as well. We praise God for who he is. We submit to God's will. We make our requests for others and for ourselves. We keep short sin accounts. But notice how it ends. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And many should include yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What's the point? Praise God for who he is again. Because prayer is all about God. It's all about God. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil because you are great. My life is about you. It doesn't take special words. It doesn't take learning the Christianese phrase. In fact, I love listening to new Christians who did not grow up in church pray. I love it because they haven't been church in church long enough to fall into the pattern of using words that don't really mean anything. They're not trying to be eloquent. They just talk. God, hi, help me, thanks. That's it. They don't use Lord as punctuation through the, through the, through the prayer. They just talk. And it's a lesson for all of us. You can pray because it's just talking. Can you talk? If you're not sure if you can talk, ask your spouse or your friends. They'll let you know. Yeah, you could talk. You can pray. It's just talking to him. Nothing special. But then in the end, we have faith that God will answer. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. He will answer your prayer. In Luke chapter 11, he gives the illustration. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And he goes through this and the friend says, no, but he keeps coming. And finally, the friend says, okay, I'll answer. And his point is, God answers. God doesn't just let it go out into the air, never to be heard. God hears and he listens intently and he responds. Now, he may not respond the way you think he's going to respond. Habakkuk said, God, you said you would deal with these wicked people. Now do it. And God said, okay, I'm doing it. Here's how I'm doing it. And Habakkuk said, no, wait a minute. That's not what I meant. Sometimes that's the case. But he always answers. And with the answer, he gives the strength to help. With the answer, he helps us understand what he's doing. He helps us thrive in the middle of struggle. So Larry prayed today, we saw there are many in our body who are hurting. Many of you are walking through challenging waters. Understand when you pray, God hears you and he answers. You can pray. Prayer seems to be a lost art in Christianity today. But it is something every believer can accomplish. Sometimes I hear our older members express regret because their bodies won't allow them to serve in ways they have in the past. And I'd like to encourage you with a thought. This stage in life allows you to spend time in prayer. Often other stages of life the busyness and the expectations squeeze out our prayer. But for you, you've got time now. 
you can pray. And it's incredibly powerful. You're in a unique position to spend significant time in prayer. And that is an un... Uh, we, we can't put a price, incalculable, incredible gift to the church. You are serving the church in an incredible way when you spend time praying. So your body may not allow you to do things, but you can pray. For our younger folks who still engage in the business of life, and for those I'm labeling as younger, it's those of those who are still engaging in the busyness of life. I called you young today. Smile. For those, don't allow life to snuff out your time from prayer. Take time to pray. And remember that you can pray. Because through prayer, God grants us the power to grow and to face the issues of life. I would challenge you that you are so busy, you can't afford not to pray. Take time to pray. But finally, we need to understand that prayer that God hears is only from his children. Again, the illustration, your child could come to me and say, can I have five bucks? And I'd be less inclined to answer because they're not my child. When they're my child, I hear. For God to hear your prayer, you must be his child. You must understand that you have committed crimes against God. You have lived your own life away from him. You have committed sins against God. And because of that, there is a price for sin. You cannot enter heaven. Heaven is perfect and you are not. And so you can't go. In fact, you have to pay the price for your sin. There is justice for the sins you've committed. Eternity in hell. But God is love. And he sacrificed his son. His son, God in the flesh, became man. Lived a sinless life. Never once sinned. And yet died on the cross, taking your sin on himself. He became your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin so that when you place your faith and trust in him, you can be made his child. And a privilege of being his child is that you get to come to him in prayer whenever and however you want. And he hears you. But you have to be his child. Don't become discouraged in prayer. It's a discipline that takes time. Simply talk to God. Praise him for who he is. Come to him with your request. Confess your sin and watch God answer. In order to grow in your walk with God, you must pray. So let me give you three practical things to help you this week in your effort to pray. One, take time each day to pray. If you're like me, you have to make time for things for them to happen. So take time to do it. Be intentional. Two, keep a list from which you can pray. I forget things. So have a list. There are apps on your phone that can do things like that. There are pieces of paper that you can use. We provide one for you every Sunday. Keep a list. Pray from the list. Pray intentionally. Most importantly, number three, don't give up. It's hard. Satan and this world don't want you to do it. It's a challenge. That's why we call it a discipline. Don't give up. Keep doing it. 
The more you do it, the better you get at it, and the more it becomes natural. Because here's the reality. Every one of you, you can pray. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I ask that as we enter this week, that we would become people of prayer. We would be committed to talk to you so that our relationships with you might grow and we might become spiritual, flourishing believers. Help us to discipline ourselves to take the time to do it. Thank you for hearing our prayers, for inviting us into your throne room and into your presence. Thank you for not making us clean ourselves up before we come, but cleaning us up when we come. Thank you for hearing us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.